despite a pandemic and global economic meltdowns and crisis all over the world, we've still managed to move forward in a way that is going to help our planet as opposed to hurt it. And that to me is exciting. This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Orat is talking to those special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to The Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Grant Brown, tech entrepreneur turned eco-activist. Grant uses his deep knowledge of environmental issues and solution to distill complex issues into simple, easy to understand terms. His goal is to inspire hope for the future in those who worry about the effects of climate change and pollution. Happy Echo News is a passion project that convinced Grant to move from the sideline to the front line and use his entrepreneurial skills to help good people doing good things. Welcome, Grant, to The Butterfly Effect. Well, thank you very much for having me, Tali. It's wonderful to be here. Before we dive into Happy Echo News, I would like to hear a bit about your background. You have 15 years experience in heavy industry as clean technology representative. Yes, that's right. My background was originally marketing in action sports. And through a twist of fate, I found myself working for a company, a startup company that was developing lithium ion batteries for use in heavy industrial equipment, such as port equipment and big ships. Mm-hmm. So we were one of the cutting edge, the first companies to actually identify that as a market and develop a product specifically for it. We had a bunch of firsts in the industry, first electric ferry, first electric tugboat, first electric port crane, and on and on and on. So we were really the leaders in the industry to make some of the most dirtiest industries clean. And we're pretty proud of that. That's amazing. And did you see others follow? Very interestingly, yes. As soon as we started doing it and showing the actually a strong business case for it, a bunch of other ones jumped on the bandwagon after. So we were the first ones in and arguably the most successful. The company that I started, I think, is um, several hundred millions of dollars in revenue annually now. And uh, I left that one after about five years and started a second one to actually compete with them. And it's doing quite well as well. Do you feel like it will pressure others to change to green energy? Absolutely. The, the, the thing about what we do, which I think is different than a lot of clean technology type industries, is that we electrify these heavy industrial equipment type projects. Mm-hmm. And they generally use a very large amount of fuel in order to provide the service that they do. And they run often 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The thing is, a lot of them are actually quite inefficient. So they burn a lot of fuel compared to the actual output of work that they do. Mm-hmm. So when we electrify those, they become much more fuel efficient. In some cases, they'll burn up to 80 or 90% less fuel if it's a hybrid. In other cases, they go 100% clean. And so when you've got a machine that 
uses several million dollars worth of diesel fuel annually, there's a very strong business case to make it electric. Oftentimes, they can pay for themselves in simply two or three years, and then it's free after that. You mentioned that it's um, it's clean. Clean energy is still energy, so it still uses something. Sure. For those who does not know anything about it, what does it mean? What other energy do they use? So a lot of the projects that we do, and interestingly, Scandinavia has been the leader in this. And we're a, we're a Canadian company based out of Vancouver, Canada. And the projects that we work on are almost always powered by clean electricity generated from renewable sources in some way. So in Norway, they've got a surplus of hydroelectric projects that actually are so, there's so many of them that they provide power to these ships for free in off-peak times. Mm -hmm. And so they can charge the batteries up at night and then use them all day and then charge the batteries up and use them all day and on and on and on for free. So when they go from actually having a fixed fuel cost or actually a fluctuating fuel cost of mm -hmm. who knows what it's going to be next week compared to a free energy source like hydroelectric that's completely clean, it's a win for the environment and a win for the companies that are operating them. And sometimes they're crown corporations, meaning that they're owned by the government. And so that's just good for society at large. And sometimes those are wind powered as well as in Denmark. Mm -hmm. We've done several projects there. Those windmills or those wind turbines rather are mm -hmm. providing energy whether or not it's being used so they're looking for ways to transition as much as they can over to those those types of sources of energy as you say that i'm thinking okay electric car hybrid cars tesla yeah when i'm traveling everywhere in the united states there is a spot for me to stop and, and exactly. charge yeah right <laughs> here it's a little more complicated and it's a little more complicated You know, I think it was in 2013 or 2014, uh, a study was done that showed that I think it was the top 10 ships, top biggest 10 ships were the most polluting things. And they combined created more emissions than all of the cars and trucks on the planet. So that's a real eye opener. Uh, and that's because the type of fuel that they were using, they're using what was known as high sulfur bunker fuel, which basically was the waste product from fuel refining for lighter fuels like gasoline, light diesel, and uh, you know jet fuel. And so those ships were burning the waste product because they could, because it was cheap. Mm -hmm. Just recently, that has been outlawed and they have to use low sulfur fuel. While those transatlantic ships can't be easily converted to electricity, they've come a long way in about in the last five years with regard to how clean they are. Some of the innovations that I've seen coming forward are hydrogen fuel cells that would actually allow a ship to generate electricity so that it could be a, essentially a hybrid electric ship that would use batteries, electric motors, and then a hydrogen fuel cell to generate the electricity. And I think that that's the way forward for fully clean marine use. There's other, there's other ways as well. The use of ammonia uh, is another fuel that is, is accelerating. There's ability to create green hydrogen and green ammonia 
for use in long-term long ship crossings, which produces zero carbon as well. But I think we're a little bit ways away for for that. There has to be a real strong economic and uh, you know essentially a ability to use them. Yeah, the ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. If you if you have a, a hydrogen or a ammonia powered ship and you roll into port, uh, you're not going to be able to fill it up in a lot of locations to refuel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that infrastructure definitely needs to be expanded, although that is occurring in a variety of different locations around the world. And how can we maintain the pressure so it will happen? So companies, politicians, whomever has <laughs> their hands in it can, can do the air quote, the right thing. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's so many things we can do, but I always say to people, just don't let up on your politicians. Write letters. Be the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, as they say. You know, be the, be the thorn in their side that won't stop and won't accept less. Because politicians, love them or hate them, they're only really interested in one thing, and that is the next election cycle and being mm-hmm. reelected. And some are better than others. In some countries, I think, have a better political system than others. But the truth is they don't get elected unless people vote for them. And if they think that there's enough people that aren't going to vote because they aren't supporting clean technology or the advancement of a clean technology, then they will definitely take a much stronger look at it. Okay. So vote is always... You know, it's not easy, right? There's a lot of people that, you know, they say, well... Nothing's going to happen. We can't change it. Politicians are what they are. There's too many big powers at play. But the reality is, if a million or 10 million people say that, then nothing gets done. But if a million or 10, pe- 10 million people say, yes, I am going to take action, then all of a sudden there's a huge groundswell of, of people and of pressure on governments and industry. I mean, that works for corporations as well. If everybody took, wrote a letter to one major international company asking them to convert their fleet to clean energy and saying, we'll buy your product if you do that, and we won't buy your product if you don't, those companies would wake up and, and make a change very quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. Every voice counts. Every voice counts. Every dollar counts. Every transaction counts. And I personally... I'm fortunate to be in a position that I can financially afford to do what is better for the planet. And I know there's a lot of people that are hand to mouth. And, you know, we live in a world with extreme disparity between the top earners and the, the people who are living hand to mouth. Mm-hmm. And so for those people that have the ability to vote with A vote they should do that for the purposes that we talked about for those of us that are able to influence decisions in other ways we should take those actions as well and so you know that's that's why I do what I do I'm very fortunate now to be in semi-retirement at a relatively young age I'm still healthy and still able And I've taken a shift and I'm moving on to activism as opposed to self-enrichment. And when you talk about that, you mean the happy eco news? Happy eco news. Yes, that's right. And it's just, I feel like it's very much like the butterfly effect where I'm trying to share, I'm trying to share 
um, and inspire people to make change. And now I'm quoting you, right? Good people <laughs> doing good things. Well, that's my tagline now. Uh, good people doing good things. And and it really is. I, I think that we are aligned, you and I. And I think there are a lot of others as well that are aligned with this. I, I meet them every day. And it didn't used to be like that. You know, when I first started doing my career in technology, we were the outliers. We were the ones that people were looking at like we had two heads when we said, we're going to take your big, heavy industrial equipment, your port crane or your ship, and we're mm-hmm. going to convert it to battery. You know, we would they would look at us like we were crazy. But then eventually we became more mainstream. And now there's not a ship in the world that's being designed that doesn't have at least provisions for energy storage or some sort of alternative fuel. All of them now. And that yeah. just wasn't the case. So I think that that, you know, as we go, there's people like you, there's people like me, there's people like a, a company that I'm working with out of the Netherlands that is uh, providing carbon offsets for direct-to-consumer. And then they go and invest in tree planting and green energy projects around mm-hmm. the world. And mm-hmm. it's also conservation. So I think that the landscape in terms of business and economics is shifting. And we're going to see a lot more of these people doing good things. And part of what I do is to help promote them. So Happy Eco News is basically sharing their story. So you're giving them a platform to share their stories. What made you do that shift from doing that green <laughs> energy for marine use to telling other people's stories? In 2017, I decided to... There was a, a few different things that happened. My wife had recently left a career of 20 years in the apparel industry Uh, my company was doing really well and I was able, I was being asked to move to Europe to, to take over a, an office in Barcelona. But then we started looking at everything and realized we wanted to, instead of replicating our life somewhere else, we decided we wanted to travel. And I pitched to my boss the idea that we would travel the world as long as mm-hmm. I was accessible for any phone call or meeting that needed to happen if I needed to travel. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And so we traveled around the world for about a year. And while we were in a town called Phnom Penh in Cambodia, I, my hotel was very near this, what I thought was a garbage dump, a, a garbage tip, as you call it, as some people call them. We would drive past it on this bridge every day. And then the rain came. What I realized with that was, was just people putting... their household garbage into a ravine. After the rains came, all that garbage, most of it plastic, was washed out into the Mekong River, which then flushed out into the South China Sea. And that ravine was now bare. It was a beautiful, pristine little stream with birds waiting. And then over the next week or so, the gr- garbage gradually started to fill up again. And I don't know why that had such a big impact on me, but it did. It really stuck with me. I took some photos of it and I was really kind of shocked by it that part of our trip was not to live in resorts for a year. Our trip was intended to for our children to understand how other people in the world live. They're, they were very fortunate to have been raised in a community that was quite well off economically. And I thought that it was important for our children to understand how people... in the rest of the world actually live. 
how there are other 99% of the population on the planet. So anyway, we were in with the community and I was starting to see how people lived on very small amounts of money and the pollution that they were living with and the water that they were drinking and the food that they were eating. And it just started weighing on me. And then around that time, that was just after a certain president was elected in the United States that didn't share my ideals. And I could see that was uh, uh, weighing on me heavily. I could see all these important policy changes being made that were just very destructive, just dismantling decades of important work. And so it all came back to this idea that while I could see how much negative news was happening everywhere, because of what I did for my day job, I, could, I know that there are a lot of good people doing good things. People that are dedicated every day, they get up, maybe for no pay at all. Maybe mm-hmm. they're starting little businesses. Maybe they're, maybe they're artists. Maybe they're writers. You know, these are people that are trying to make the world a better place. And why was Donald Trump getting all the press? Why were people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos getting all of the press? What I wanted to do was to provide a platform for those good people doing good things so that they might in some way be able to benefit from that. The second part of it, and maybe more importantly, the idea was to help provide a source of good news for regular people. So even if a person is just struggling every day, traveling to and from their job in their cubicle or in their whatever they're doing, that they had a source to see good news and understand that there are, once again, good people doing good things, just as I could see. So I started collecting the stories and sharing them on social media amongst my friends. I then got a a request, I remember, for somebody to say, why don't you just email these to us so we don't have to check social media every day? (laughs) And so I did. And then I created a website, and I really launched it as Happy Eco News on January 1st, 2018 from a little cafe in Hong Kong where I happened to be. And it's just grown from there. Every day we have dozen more subscribers to the newsletter and more followers on social media and more people coming to our website every day. And it's, it's inspiring because they write me letters thanking me as if I am some wonderful (laughs) person and I'm just a regular person that saw an idea and decided to help others. Yeah, I I was actually fortunate to write uh, to Happy Eco News too. So I I know the feeling of being grateful, even though you know that what you're doing is is good for the world. So you're basically changing the narrative, right? I'm trying. And, you know, it's not easy, especially in these current times. We just came out of COP26 um, a couple of months ago, and um, there were some really great advances uh, in terms of protecting biodiversity and trees uh, mm-hmm. and, and support for African nations that might have huge reserves of carbon storage that would be exploited by industry, and so those are going to be protected now. But there's also a lot of negative news that's coming out in the world, and I think that it's really important to counteract that. I have I have two children, a one a, a daughter who's 18 and a son who's 20, and you know they're looking at a pretty bleak future if you 
follow what's happening on the news. But once again, all around the world, there, there are more people that I could ever write about on Happy Eco News that are actually doing good stuff for the planet. And it's everything from the oceans. It's from plastic picking up in the parks. It's for protecting water. It's for protecting trees. It's planting trees. It's reducing carbon. It's coming up with innovative new ways to use ocean pollution in plastic products uh, as fuel. I mean, it's just, there's so many things. It's almost mind blowing and it's exciting. And I, I wake up every day energized to do more. So let's dive into some of them. Let's, let's inspire some people. <laughs> What are the, the top environmental stories for 2022? Well, you know, I think that coming off of um, COP26 last year, I think we're seeing this real push for reforestation and for, for conservation of wild areas. I think that we have now collectively realized that the only way we're going to get out of this mess is, first of all, to, to stop using dirty fuels and mm -hmm. reduce that. But then we also have to somehow sequester all of the carbon that we've released into the air. And the easiest way to do that, that requires the least amount of technology, is to empower people to plant trees and start reforesting. And I think that there's going to be a mix of people doing it on the ground in developing nations that can plant food forest for themselves and uh, thus sequester carbon while changing their local climate and providing food and economic stability for themselves. So that's a really mm -hmm. wonderful sort of secondary aspect to reforestation. And then, of course, the, you know, the, the, the second part of that that's perhaps more important I don't, or equally important is the rise of clean energy. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got all around the world clean energy projects, wind farms, solar are now equal to or lower cost than simply maintaining a coal-fired plant. Mm -hmm. So once you've got these economic incentives to move ahead with clean energy, business people are in it for themselves and they're in it for business and they love the idea of a lower cost product. And that's what we're seeing with clean energy. So I think that that's one of the biggest stories that is somewhat overlooked. I mean, it's, it's cheap to produce solar and it's cheaper to produce wind. And yeah. when those combinations come together, we just need to transition over to electric vehicles and electricity for homes. As those prices, the cost per kilowatt of energy is reduced, the benefit to society is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Another big trend that I really, really like is the banks and the lending institutions, some of the largest, biggest banks with the highest amount of money and portfolios in the world, like Deutsche Bank and others, mm -hmm. are now divesting from fossil fuel-based projects. So companies that used to be able to just go, yeah, we're going to build a new offshore oil project. It's going to be X amount of dollars required. We're going to produce this amount of uh, energy at the end of it, and energy, you know, that means oil. Mm -hmm. Banks are now looking at those going, okay, but what's your, what's your divestment plan? It's not just business as usual anymore. And so the banks are now starting to look at companies like, say, BP or, mm -hmm. or others and say, mm -hmm. okay, you're, you're great. This is a project that shows promise. But will it be profitable 
in five, 10 or 20 years. We don't want to lend you money for a project that's going to end up just being a white elephant, basically stranded assets that don't earn any money. We don't want you to default on your loans. And this is the first time in history that these things have been really, truly assessed. Because if there is this shift away from fossil fuels happening, why would anybody invest in, in, in those types of projects when they're just not going to be needed? And so the divestment from fossil fuels of banks and other investment industries is very important. Because the harder it is for these big polluting companies to get financing for those types of projects, will f- that will force them or at least incentivize them to look at projects that are clean and that they can get financing for. You know, some of these um, oil companies are writing down assets the first time that that's ever happened. And there will be fluctuations, right? The cost of oil mm-hmm. will go up and down based on current world events. But overall, we're seeing a trend away from fossil fuels. That's very encouraging because I, I know companies are looking to invest, right, in clean supply chain or yes. work with other organizations that has a clean supply chain. But the incentive was never money yes. per se. And now it's directly tied. So we have finally the understanding that, That any crisis that is happening due to environment is actually tied directly to money and there is a value in changing it so this is really really big it really is and more as more you know unfortunately we're seeing catastrophic climate change events happening around the world but on the flip side of that I mean it's terrible but on the flip side of that it just puts more pressure on these organizations to change. Because I believe that just like big tobacco got, you know, so when I was a kid growing up, people smoked on airplanes. You know, mm-hmm. Can you imagine that right now? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and they had a smoking section and a non-smoking section, but there was no partition. It was just... Yeah, no, that it matters, yeah. You didn't have somebody <laughs> sitting beside you smoking. And those tobacco companies had so much power and influence. But where are they now? You know, they're, they're almost gone. They're in some developing nations still, but that's their, sort of their last stand, and they've all divested into other things. And I think that the oil companies are going to be in the same situation. They're apparently using some of the same tactics in order to stave off uh, lawsuits. But as climate change continues on and sea levels rise and damages occur, you're going to see more and more legal action against those types of companies that would basically... prohibit them from moving ahead with future projects because if we know and it can be proven that we do know what the effects of these projects are in the mm-hmm. long term, then how could you ethically and morally move ahead with them as a, a solution? They're a part of the problem and they're now being assessed as such and their risk associations and assessments are being uh, placed upon them in the same way as, as something that, You know it just as it should I guess you could say yeah. so that that to me the divestment of, of, of fossil fuels from banks from financial institutions from endowments you know some of these major educational organizations are now divesting and the other really interesting thing about this as well so you're talking about divestment of banks but how about this trend 
smart people coming out of university are no longer going into fossil fuels. They have already seen. So the fossil fuel companies used to be the blue chip companies that every young engineering grad would want to go and work for, or -hmm. every young MBA coming out of school would want to go and work for. But they don't want to go work for those companies anymore because they see that they don't have that same big future as they once did. And so there's a almost like a brain drain coming from that industry. All those smart people, guess where they're going? They're going to clean technology. And so you've got the best and the brightest going to clean technology and the secondary people going to these other old industries that are dying. I love that it's so hopeful. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> you know, like I say, we live, we live in a very interesting time. And there's a lot of really negative stuff happening. There mm-hmm. is no doubt. But there's so much really, really cool, exciting stuff happening as well. Right. Uh, I was at the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, the COP21. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. spoke there about the maritime industry. And they, at that time, nobody had even really heard of electric ships. I mean, the idea was preposterous. A big ship that would run on batteries that you would recharge, just like your you know, portable electronic device. But we were doing it. Fast forward five, seven years from that, electric cars are everywhere. Electric mm-hmm. ships are now being produced everywhere around the world. We even have electric airplanes. That's only yeah. a seven-year gap. And it is, despite a pandemic and global economic meltdowns and crisis all over the world, we've still managed to move forward in a way that is going to help our planet as opposed to hurt it. And that to me is exciting because once we move past this current times that we're in and we can really put energy and resources behind these new types of ways of doing business, it's going to be unstoppable. Yeah, we have a lot of tipping points, a lot of research talking about a lot of tipping points yes. happening now and it's it's up to us and we need to be on the right side of of history and make those changes absolutely was mentioning the the paris accord there's something known as the paris effect and it's not greatly talked about but it's it's this decision making process that private companies and publicly traded companies and even gov- uh, governments are using now to base uh, decisions upon. And that is, does it align with the Paris Accord or not? (laughs) Yeah. It's really simple. And if it doesn't, then why doesn't it? And how can we make it so that it does? Because they can see the future. Nobody wants to be the one that doesn't meet the Paris Accord commitments. We Mm -hmm. all are moving forward with that in mind. Yes, between clean energy, the Paris effect, planting trees, we are... As long as we do take all actions, there's not one. There's this all is true. actions. Yeah, yeah, this is true. And that's why, you know, when you read the Happy Eco News, each day you'll find five new stories. And they're all different. Everywhere you look, it's, it's kind of like almost human Mushrooms interest. after the rain. Yeah, yeah exactly. They <laughs> pop up. But it's human interest, right? So if you have yeah. some person that's, You know interested in protecting nature and uh, maybe stewardship of a river 
you go find that on Happy Eco News. If you have somebody who's developing a technology that is going to you know, revolutionize energy consumption, we have mm-hmm. that. And so we have scientists, we have artists that are making beautiful art out of ocean plastic. You have musicians that are making beautiful music to inspire masses of people, mm-hmm. people who are writing books. And there's just so many of them. Like you say, mushrooms popping up after the rain. It's a wonderful <laughs> analogy. Now, speaking of mushrooms, mushrooms for me are connected directly to the forest. What is your favorite tree? My favorite tree? Well, I would have to say, without a doubt, the western red cedar from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. I live in a temperate rainforest that is on the west coast of Canada in British Columbia. And when I walk through the cedar forest, it's almost like a magical religious experience for me. A huge proponent of forest bathing. Mm-hmm. That is the practice of just going and being in the forest and observing mm-hmm. nature all around you. And it is only there that I can find true peace. And the, I can just in my mind's eye imagine the light filtering through green, green branches down into the forest floor. It's, it's a beautiful place at any time of year. It could be in the rain. It could be in the sun of summer. It could be in the snow of winter. It's my absolute, my favorite tree and my absolute favorite place without a doubt to be <laughs> in the world. Magical. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing. And thank you so much for joining me and sharing hope. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you everyone for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me and I hope you can join me next time. And remember... It only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change 